Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're hanging out on a Monday night. It's the 13th day of March. Got a storm coming through the Northeast. I don't think it's going to be much accumulation over here. I think we're going to get the... Um, we're going to get more of a slushy, sleety, rainy kind of a thing going on. But just a couple of miles north of us, it's going to be about 6 to 12. Some of our friends in Pennsylvania are getting like 18 inches. And I'm fine with it because at this point, as I told you, the winter already had a shot and now it blew its chance and now I don't want any winter. I wanted a couple of snow days, but now I don't want anything because it, it, it had its chance and it blew it. So I'll settle for a nice rainy night. I like working on rainy nights. I got a lot of extra done. I don't want to go to sleep. I just want to listen to the rain and work. So I'm, I'm good for that. Welcome to the show. It's 8.58, 6.58. It is 6.58 p.m. And we've got a great guest coming on tonight who has been on the schedule for weeks now. Dr. Robin McCutcheon. She is a friend of the show. She's been on many times. She is an economics professor at Marshall University. And we have had so many great conversations. And just so happens, uh, I wanted her to come on tonight to be able to discuss the topic of the role of the responsible banker, the role of the banker in a stable society. Now, this is why I say the show really just writes itself sometimes, because uh, how could we have predicted that she'd be coming on on March 13th, 2023, when uh, several big banks are teetering oh one, one already gone and and several others teetering on the brink and the the federal reserve coming in and saying that they're going to commit to emergency actions and it's just uh it, it's incredible the tens of billions if not at least a hundred billion or so just wiped away now if you expect me to be able to explain most of this i made sure that i had a couple of really nice threads very con concise statements to summarize what's going on here. And then I just want to talk to Robin about stuff because I don't want to venture too far off from my original intent for tonight's show. There's no reason to at this point. Um, I, I want to know, I guess maybe compare and contrast to what a banker, a banking institution should be doing that doesn't lead to this kind of distress. Not to say that along the, along the way, there aren't booms and busts and corrections, but as far as us dancing on the uh, the head of a pin right now and not knowing when the big day is going to be here, the big day, the big event, it's just incredible, the timing. So we'll get around to that. I want to welcome you all around the fireplace here on this Monday night. And just remember that we are getting off around 8.25, 8.27 p.m. because we have... Session two of the book club for Brave New World with Jay Dyer. That starts if you are a monthly subscriber, whether it be on Patreon or Subscribestar or Foxhole or quite th right through quitefrankly.tv on the Sponsor Us page through Squarespace, then you have already been provided with your exclusive link for the evening, and I will see you at 8.30. Uh, for those of you who are in podcast land and you wanted to be a part of the book club for The Great Divorce... <laughs> 
I just put public the Great Divorce book club that we did in January with Timothy Gordon. So that playlist is now available on podcast as well. That whole playlist on SoundCloud and everywhere else that it syndicates. So you're all up to date with that. And in the sometime in mid April or so, I will put Brave New World out there too. But the fun of it really is getting together live with all your friends and talking about a book that you're reading, especially one as creepy as this. So, you know, be a part of the book club and all you got to do is become a sponsor at, at any tier. And uh, and I promise I'm not going to take your money and and go gamble with it somewhere and invest it into a whole bunch of uh, you know racial equity uh, companies and stupid shit whatever the hell else is going on there. Oh, you know it's bad when they roll out a, the, the president, any president, but especially this one uh, and his cheerleading squad, the, the the diversity cheerleading squad, when they come out and they say, oh, "Well, we're strong, everything's fine." Oh, this is why we have these safeguards in. Yeah, safeguards. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know it's bad. But um, they're there to just make sure that nobody panics as they lead us into the slaughterhouse. And then we will have the solution that has been waiting the entire time, I'm sure. So that's what we got going on tonight. Thank you to my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. As always, there are tons of reminders all around us as to why you should be going to to bluemonsterprep.com in between uh you know in between paychecks in between the, whatever you have going on and you have a little bit of money that is left over and you're wondering what should I do should I put it into savings is there something that we need how should I split this up go to blue monster prep and start thinking about things that you you could possibly get into your house or your basement or some other place and um and take a little bit of the stress of living in this phase of Western civilization, take a little bit of that stress off. No doubt. What else do we have? Oh, you know, I just, just a, a little bit of a speed read through all the guests we have coming up. Tomorrow night, it's just you and I. We have another short show because I have band practice, but I think I have a couple of really good topics that we can do. On Thursday, on Wednesday, the Ides, we have the Zells that are coming on, and I want to talk about... Danny Casolaro, his story. There was an interesting article that was published about him. Frank and Jim Zell had been talking about Danny Casolaro in the past. And uh, and when I saw an article dedicated to him on Mysterious Universe, I went and I grabbed it. And I think we're just going to do that on Wednesday night. Just do a deep dive because you know that'll, that'll bleed out into other things. On Thursday, the 16th, we got Speed Read Dan coming on, as he is known on Twitter. And he'll be talking about the topic of physiognomy. That is the controversial science of judging a person's character based on their facial features. So that'll be interesting. St. Patrick's Day. I don't know what's going on Friday night. I may be off Friday night. I'll let you know. And then I'm going to be doing the Saturday night special on March 25th. So we'll do the Saturday night special next March. (laughs) Next Saturday. I'm sure we'll do something next March as well. Don't worry. God willing. And then next week is another big one. Anomaly's on with us. Dr. Peter McCullough is coming back on. Uh, He will be here with Jay Gulinello on the 23rd. Rich Barris on the 29th. Grace, really graceful. She's coming on her debut appearance. That's going to be on March 30th. And I'm working on Chris Ann Hall for April 5th. 
Shane Cashman, April 21st. He's got a new book coming out. I want to talk to him about spooky stuff. And there you have it. I'm working on a Storm Chaser guest, as I told you not too long ago, too. So we'll be able to go into that. And I also put in a special request request for this one guest that I hope comes through. Oh, I can't tell you about it because I'm, I'm, I'm done with jinxing myself. I'm done with it. I get excited about things and I want to tell people. That's what happens to me. And um, you just can't. So just know I'm always working. And I hope that you're enjoying yourself. All right. Over on to the grab bag. What do we have? What do we have here? The New York Post. The New York Post. You ready for this? China pummeled by rain of worms as residents asked to carry umbrellas. China needs to call Rihanna for some umbrellas. Oh, God. To weather this phenomenal, this phenomenon of nature. Now, what is it? Is it really worms? Citizens of the Chinese province of Liaoning were told to find shelter after it looked like it started to rain worms. A viral clip showed the area apparently being showered with little worms, which were splattered all over the cars. The video showed residents covering themselves with umbrellas as they go along their routines and wander past, while the cause of the slimy creature calamity has yet to be uncovered. The scientific journal Mother Nature Network suggested that the animals were dropped after being swept up by heavy winds. These were really worms? Oh my God. You see this? I thought they were going to say it was like a mud storm or something, which is pretty much just a dust storm. And the rain just made it muddy in the air. I thought, they're really worms? That is gross. It looks like, it looks like huge logs of shit. The periodical also noted that this type of occurrence happens after a storm when insects are caught up in a whirlpool. Another theory suggested that the worms were actually poplar flowers, a tulip tree whose blossoms resemble the squirmy beasts. I'm I'm more inclined to say that. Viewers were stunned by the city's current problem, with one person stating, these are not worms or animals, but flowers. Flower stalks dropped from trees. That, that sounds a lot more reasonable. A lot more reasonable. Someone else claimed that the video was fake and looked like a prank. Strange phenomenon, a user added. Another weighing in. If I was just minding my business on a casual day in China and it started raiding worms, I'd just die. A similar odd event went down last December when it was believed that iguanas could rain down from trees in Florida due to colder temperatures. Well, it wasn't raining iguanas, but it was, they were falling out of trees because they were flash frozen. They were flash frozen. We covered that. While thermo- Here, look. While thermometer plunges stun invasive reptiles, the iguanas won't necessarily die. Many will simply wake up as the temperature rises, which is why down there these, these local governments in Florida were saying, if you see any of these frozen iguanas anywhere, that's a good time to kill them. Call up animal control, they'll, they'll come by and humanely smash their heads in. Or humanely cut their heads off and drink their blood. And that was... They're trying to get rid of the iguanas any way they can. That and the monkeys with herpes. The herpes monkeys, that's another story. And the vomiting vultures and the horny peacocks. Florida's got a lot of problems. A lot of problems, yes, they do. 
Hey, but when I retire, when is it going to be? When is that retirement date going to be, actually? I don't know if I want to retire. I think I just want to keep going. I want to keep going until I have a cotton mouth problem. You can't do talk radio when you have a cotton mouth problem. Then you have to figure out what's next. You're just going to go into writing. If you're just going to go on, you know, book tours after that and directing something, something else. But take a listen to this. Now, I, I typically have enjoyed listening to Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. But so but I don't really know too much about him other than he's he's popped up in certain places and I've. I tend to jive with what he he says about one topic or another. Not on this, though. Here he is talking about why there should be changes to Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, the changes should be we got to get rid of it all. But here it is. For people who are in their 20s, their life expectancy will probably be 85 to 90. Oh, so we're, we're, we're getting older and healthier? I don't think so. Does it really make sense to allow someone in their 20s today to retire at 62? Listen to this. I mean, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the life expectancy of the average American right now is about 77 years old. For people who are in their 20s, um, their life expectancy will probably be 85 to 90. Why, well, what makes you even say that? 85 to 90 we're gonna we're gonna pick up 13 extra years over the next over the next uh, uh, the generation how's that happening are, are we getting what are we doing better with the planet with our diets with uh, with with health care what are we getting better with that that makes you think that we're going to unlock some kind of widespread fountain of youth I don't understand that alone but then he gets into the retirement age thing. Does it really make sense to allow someone who's in their 20s today to retire at, uh, at, at 62? See, that's what I'm saying. You know, you'll get some differences out of Republicans and Democrats, but there they are. You know, Democrats, they're, they're out of their fucking minds. But Republicans, they're, they're there d- discussing the best way to manage you from cradle to grave, allow you to retire. What he's saying is, when should you be allowed to access any portion of the money that's been stolen from you your entire life and put into a completely bankrupted system that we call Social Security? When should you be eligible to access any part of that that you have been, that's been stolen from you your entire life? When should it be? Because we can't have you be on the dole for 30 years. You can't just retire at 62 and then live to 90 and, and be taken care of. This is why allowing there's nothing to be allowed. I should be able to retire at 35 if I do well, do, do well for, enough for myself. But that's because me and everybody else out there should be in charge of their retirement. It should be a personal responsibility that everybody thinks about when they're young. Everybody plans for when they're young. They know that this is a part of life. And you're not waiting for John Kennedy and all of his colleagues, his 99 other colleagues in the, in the Senate, to think about what we're eligible for, especially when it's our fucking money that they've wasted and they've misused all these years to now to the point where they're taking out loans to pay Social Security. So, you know, it's, uh, it's really something else when you hear somebody talking about when we should be allowed to retire, as if you could actually retire on Social Security alone anyway and have it be anything 
really, in, uh, you know, respectable of a retirement. Maybe, maybe it'll get you some some groceries at this point. But I know uh, most of the people I know who are only living off of Social Security, uh, they're they're not, uh, you know, it's a shoestring budget. So it's like he's teasing everybody with paradise over here. All right. Um, no, yeah, but speaking of retirement, this is something I think I would like to be doing when I am retired. This is from Daily News reported. Mark Swan sent this to me. I said, are you sure this real? He goes, absolutely. A man dual-wielding raw stakes. That means he has a raw steak in either hand, in each hand. Slaps diners in the face at a vegan restaurant yelling, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. That is a waste of two steaks, number one, but it is funny. It is assault, though, as well. You should not hit anybody with steak. Children. Clinton Brewer, 73 years old, he's been retired for 11 years already, has been arrested after assaulting close to one dozen people at a local vegan restaurant, Larry's Secret Garden. (laughs) That sounds like a stupid vegan restaurant. Clinton was seen entering the restaurant during the dinner rush with raw steaks in each hand. He walked from table to table... (laughs) Slapping people in the face with the bloody cuts of beef, yelling at each of them, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have your pudding. How can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat? He would repeat this over and over until he was stopped. It was somewhere around the 12th victim of his walk by slapping when a good Samaritan intervened by tackling and restraining him on the ground until authorities arrived. Clinton, a lifelong resident of Ojai, I'm probably saying that wrong. It's in California. Ojai has not been a fan of all vegan restaurants popping up and taking over the city that he loves. Quote, it used to be a time where you can choose from several different places to enjoy a steak on a Friday night. Now you're lucky if you can find one. All these meatless options are silly, overpriced, and un-American. What about, I like this guy. What about the folks that want some beef and don't care for your unkempt armpits and electric cars? Well, the town I love doesn't give a shit about us anymore, Clinton told our reporters via his jail cell. Mark, are you sure that this is real? Of the dozen or so victims of brewers, three were sent to the local hospital with superficial... (laughs) Well, hopefully... Hopefully it wasn't bone in. Like if it was a T-bone, I mean, you could call, you can la- lacerate an eye. You can open up a brow. Hopefully it wasn't bone in. Uh, three were sent to the local hospital superficial wounds. Uh, most of the injuries were of the emotional variety, and all, especially when you get slapped with meat. And all the victims had a chance to speak with grief counselors. This can't be real. Now that. Mark, that's, I think this is, this is fake. Did you screw with me here? A candlelit vigil is planned for this coming weekend in hopes of raising positive vibes to heal the community. Okay, that has to be bullshit. Mark, damn you. Damn you, Mark. Mark, is this real? I don't know. It, you know, it's real for us. 
that's all that matters. All right, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot wait to do this show. Uh, I'm going to set the table for Robin McCutcheon, who is on her way. Don't go anywhere. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! Peggy Lee. So, where do we start? Get me some money three. Plenty of money going around out there. So, where are we going to? Okay, now here's what I have for you. Oh no, I didn't mean to turn you off like that, Peggy. It's gonna fade you out, nice and respectable, like. See, there she goes. See you later, Peg. All right. So I, uh, as you know, over the weekend, the news about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank started making the rounds, and it's the second largest collapse in the history of the United States. And uh, it's not only caused an It's a Wonderful Lifestyle bank run in some places. You probably saw some of those videos, people lining up wanting to get their stuff out. But uh, it has major implications for countless other banks and businesses. So I have two concise threads for you that I want to read. The first one from Dr. Steve Turley, who I'd love to have on the show one day. I've spoken with him recently about figuring out a date, and um, I, I can't, wait, uh, can't wait until he comes on one day. But Dr. Steve Turley's got this, and then I have one other one, then we're going to Robin. Here it is. Um... On Friday, financial regulators announced that they had officially shut down Silicon Valley Bank and took control of its deposits. Uh, it represented nothing less than the single largest U.S. bank failure since the GFC, the global financial crisis back in 2008. Silicon Valley Bank was up until Friday one of the world's leading financial institutions for technology and innovation companies, both here and in the United States and globally, and its collapse was the second largest bank failure in history. According to CNBC, the company's downward spiral began Wednesday of last week when officials from the bank shocked investors with news that the bank was suffering from a $2 billion shortfall. 
Keep that number in mind. It's going to come back in this video. Well, we're not going to watch the video tonight, but they needed $2 billion to shore up their balance sheet. What then followed was a massive run on the bank with customers withdrawing a staggering $42 billion of deposits by the end of Thursday. So in a matter of mere 24 hours, Silicon Valley Bank went from being one of the most well-capitalized institutions on the planet to basically broke, with investors and depositors uncertain whether they'll ever see their money again. Bloomberg is reporting that 93% of SVB's deposits are uninsured. Uh, that's because, okay, well, well, this next line says it, because the FDIC only covers accounts up to $250,000, which means that 93% of all of their account holders had far more than $250,000 in there. So think about all the money that's uninsured. There are companies like Roku that have hundreds of millions of dollars of deposits that they may never see again. So needless to say, bailout talks are already underway. That's right, our elites are once again discussing whether to bail out those woke leftist losers on the backs of you and me, the taxpayers. And that's key to all of this. As the dust begins to clear and the shocking implosion, more and more investors and pundits are recognizing that SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, appears to be yet the latest victim of President Trump's undeniable truism, everything woke turns to shit. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit later on because it's true. Um, I, I, I think that there, there are dozens. What was it? I saw the, the post-millennial put this out there too, said that... Um, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on Friday following its seizure by regulators, and it was a, let's see here, the outlet reports that SVB, SVB bragged on its website about its support of hydrogen, solar, and uh, energy storage companies, noting that the bank provided finance to the community solar industry of upwards of 60%. So they were giving a lot, and I don't know if this means, but here's the whole thing. Uh, there can be plenty of technology companies out there that aren't woke. Uh, there can be uh, companies that have that want to produce technology that can help the environment, that could clean the oceans, that should, if they are good ideas, they should be explored. So as far as where everything has gone, I know that they did a little bit of something else here. I want to throw this out here from Andrew Lokanoff. This is another really quick thread that I think will be great, and then we're going to call up Robin. Because this goes into deeper subjects that I definitely want a professional on with me for. Many don't realize the importance of Silicon Valley's bank to the economy and the ripple effects coming. SVP, SVB's failure is the beginning of a domino effect throughout tech and startups. This is the bigger thing here. I've worked in banking for 10 plus years, so let me explain why you should care and what it means for you. Over 95% of Silicon Valley's Banks' deposits are not insured by the FDIC due to being over a $250,000 limit. That's over $160 billion in uninsured customer deposits. About half of all venture capital-funded startups in the United States are customers of SVB. That's 65,000 startups, 65,000 businesses, not employees. Okay, from there, you multiply from there for employees of these startups that had gotten money venture capital money from SVB to be able to go out there and open up shop and see 
what they can do. And obviously, obviously all with their own hopes of plant, paying back the loans and being self-sufficient and, and whatever, doing business from there. So you think about what this can really be. It's not even about a domino effect with other banks. It's, it's more so what it's going to do to business. This means that 65,000 startups could miss payroll. This can create huge problems for the startup and tech, tech economy. Uh, SIBV was the 15th largest bank in the U.S. by deposits and held $210 billion in assets. SVB was the second largest bank. Banking failure in the U.S. history. Silicon Valley Bank is the largest bank to fail since the 2008 financial crisis. The primary reason for the failure of SVB was their choice to invest their customers' deposits in treasury bonds, which are, high, which are highly impacted by shifts in interest rates. I got to ask Robin about that. Number one, I bought government bonds. It bought government bonds with fixed interest rates, and as the Fed raised rates, those bonds lost value. Silicon Valley Bank had $80 billion. It makes you wonder, okay, uh, you're telling me that everybody at the Fed did not know this? They did not know that this could happen if they raise interest rates. But is it really just a matter of everybody has bad decisions to make and there is no way out? I'm, even those of us who can't explain what's going on, we understand just by we know, knowing how much is being spent on our behalf, supposedly, or in our name, and just knowing where money comes from and how there is going to be an end to the party, and it's going to be a pretty sad end across the board. So that's interesting right there, decision-making. It bought government bonds with fixed interest rates. As the, red, uh, the Fed's raised rates, those bonds lost value. Silicon Valley Bank had $80 billion in bonds with an average yield of 1.5%. No one wants bonds yielding 1.5% when the current market is selling bonds with yields over 5%. Silicon Valley Bank has been an important partner of startups, founders, and here's the thing right here. They're under control of the federal government at the moment, but right before the bank collapsed, the bank's management team sold most of their stock. The CEO sold 11% of his stock. The CFO sold 32% of his stock. And the CMO sold 28% of her stock. Did they know something? I would have to imagine that they did. So um, with that all under our belts and on the table, I want to bring in Robin McCutcheon who is a professor at Marshall University of Economics. She's been on the show many times, good friend of ours now. And as I, you know, there's, there's no way to really plan for this kind of stuff. No way. It just happens sometimes. And uh, Robin, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can. Robin, what is, what, what is the, uh, there's definitely something moving in the stars above that has, put you on the schedule so many weeks out for this night and we are going to be talking about the role of the responsible banker in society well, I, I mean, know how do you how ironic how do you even do this you can't plan for stuff like it this it was magic come on <laughs> oh, so i so what do i ask you first the first thing i want to here's a question here's from okay. yahoo finance Yahoo Finance, there's a, a, a quote in this one article about U.S. regional banks under pressure as First Republic sinks. Now, this is the second big bank to really start feeling the, the pressure here. And here's the quote. Most banks are solvent under normal circumstances. The problem is pretty much no bank can withstand a full-on bank run. So, Robin, my question to you is, um, you know, 
I don't know too much, but what I do know is that I know where money comes from, and I know that when they send our know-nothings like the president and everybody out there to say everything's fine, it probably isn't. But the other thing there is, it is so clear to me that the illusion we live under is not only fleeting, it has always been so fragile that if just one person spooks everybody else, there is nowhere near enough to make people whole if they want to take their stuff out. It's just, where, where is everything? Where is everything? That That is a really great question. Um, do you remember the scene in It's a Wonderful Life where George and Mary are coming out the, of the church? They just got married, and they're in the taxi with Ernie or Bert or whoever the taxi driver was, mm-hmm. and they're driving past the Bailey building alone, and the taxi driver says, hey, I... George, there's there's something going on at the bank that that looks like a bank run. And George walks in, and and all the depositors are standing around very quietly. And George looks at at Joe and says, "Joe, what's going on?" And Joe says, "I'd like my money, please, all of it." And in the back of George Bailey's mind, George knows that he doesn't have everyone's deposit. And so he tells Joe, well, Joe, I, I, don't, I don't have your deposit. Your deposit is in Sam's house. And Sam's money is in Frank's house. And he's trying to explain to them the concept of fractional reserve banking, where the bank only keeps a very tiny fraction of all the deposits in the bank. And so George's... Um, George's uh, you know, wonderful creation of using their wedding money, his and Mary's wedding money, to give everyone just enough to tide them over. Mm. Just just enough. Not all of it. You know, we're good for it. And and at the end of the day, they had $2 left. Remember that? Yeah, the, the, the daddy dollar and the mama dollar. Daddy dollar and the mama dollar. And so the illusion of fractional reserve banking is that no bank has to keep every depositor's money, every single penny. In fact, they don't keep every single penny. Um, For years and years, from like 1913 until right around the early 2000s, might have been right around 2002, banks were required to keep about 5 to 10% of their depositor's money in the bank called reserves, cash reserves. And they're, here's a pun for you, they're banking on not everybody showing up at the bank all one morning wanting all of their money. Hmm. And so um, really, you know what, Um, to explain how we got here, I know you want to talk about the role of the responsible banker, but I think really what we should do is we should back up just a little bit and, and get a little tiny look at history of how we actually got to the role of the irresponsible banker. That'd be great. Okay, so we're going to start in 1864. Now, that was a while back. But in 1864, President Lincoln and the Congress passed the um, 1864 Banking Act, which created a skeletal structure of state and national banks. Um, And... Eventually, this system was taken over by the Federal Reserve in 1913. 
Now, if your audience has ever read G. Edward Griffin's The Creature from Jekyll Island, um, Griffin does a wonderful job in describing how the four or five richest men in America got together in 1910 to construct their new central bank that they wanted to impose on the United States. And um, and so they pushed through the Federal Reserve Act. I, I, I bet your audience, if you check your chat, they could probably name the four or five very rich men. But what they did was they created a monopoly central bank, a cartel. It's a privately owned bank. It's no more federal than Federal Express. It is not owned by the government. Um, it's owned by these private bankers. And their objective was to own and control the money supply, making it so that U.S. taxpayers would always carry the burden of any kind of bailout or inflation or tax liens or, or anything. And so these five private bankers working with Congress in 1913 created the Federal Reserve Act. In, and incidentally, that was also when we got the Income Tax Act. Now, fast forward about 16 years to 1929, and we have the, the great 1929 stock market crash. But the reason that the stock market crashed was for the exact same reason that it has always crashed. The bankers, the, the Federal Reserve, Central Bank, has yanked up the interest rate to the point where it became more profitable for people to put their money into stocks than to own bonds. Does that make sense? I, so they're yeah. I, I the, the bonds thing. I would love a little bit of uh, of a crash course on too, especially with that one part. I'd like to read it back to you at, at some point. Okay. Uh, yeah. but When we get there, but I would love to know a little bit about this because right. it, so yeah. So what happened? It, it's it's a really intricate um, it's a really intricate spider's web that we're playing with here, and and all of these little parts play into it. But um, in 1929, when the stock market crashed, um, people who were in real estate knew that it was going to go down two full years before it went down because the real estate market took a tumble and never recovered in the summer of 1927. So people stopped buying houses because the interest rates had been jacked up so far. Makes sense? Yes. Have you, you remember some of this? Yes. Yeah. It's the same playbook. So the stock market crashes, and um, we don't go into a depression right away. Um, we, we kind of skip through 1929. Herbert Hoover becomes the, the, um, the most loathsome president ever. We, we kind of scrape through 1930 and 31, and we get to 32 when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is elected. And Roosevelt is the one that put in the bank holidays, shut all the banks down, um, go in and use the new FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which again is private, it's not federal, and he shut down all the banks that did not have enough reserves, those cash reserves that George Bailey was fretting about. He shut down all the banks. It was about 16,000 banks that he shut down during those three or four weeks where they had the bank holidays. 
And at the same time he did that, he, by executive order, he, um, he confiscated all the gold and silver from Americans because you cannot have a competing money and gold is true money because it holds its value. Um, he, you can't have a competing money when you have a fiat system. And, and so Glass-Steagall was also the banking act that was passed in 1933 because people were so pissed off that the um, commercial banks had been using depositors' money to go out and speculate in the market. And so people sort of instinctively knew that it was the banker's fault, but it's not like they could put their finger on exactly which banker it was. Now, it, it's not your mom and pop banker, you know, small town bank uh, owner. It was literally the nine biggest banks in the United States that was doing this. So Glass-Steagall has passed, and what it does is it, it removes from the commercial banks the ability to use depositors' money to make trades in the stock market. Okay. Yes. Okay. So then we then we we kind of go through time a little bit. Bretton Woods is set up in 1947, and that made the the U.S. dollar the world's reserve currency. Then in 1971, Richard Nixon closes the gold window, and instead of the U.S. dollar being backed by gold, the U.S. dollar is now backed by the a barrel of oil. Right. right. So now we're still backed by an asset. It's just not gold. Then an interesting thing happens in 1977. President Carter signs in the Community Reinvestment Act. Now the Community Reinvestment Act was a, um, a, an act that forced banks to use a small portion of their portfolio, the, the money that the bank well and truly owned, not reserves, but the, bank, the money that the bank owned, it forced the bank to use about 5% of that portfolio to give loans to uncreditworthy home borrowers. Does that make sense? So yeah. people who went in who were not actually creditworthy, it forced the bank to loan them money. Well, that's that, that's what led us to 2008. I know oh, that. You're, you're get, don't get ahead of the story. Okay, okay. sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. So in 1995... Good old President Clinton updates the um, Community Reinvestment Act, and they they increase the portion of the portfolio from five percent to fifteen percent, roughly. And then, in nineteen ninety nine, Good old Clinton, he he signs into law the nineteen ninety nine Banking Act, which removed Glass Steagall. Now, and so as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, no. Why was, oh, now, no, the commercial banks can go back to unit using their depositors' money to do all this mischief in the market, in the stock market. Now, back then, because obviously I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to anything in 1999, what, what do you remember why? Uh, because I, 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 I knew it was Clinton in 99, Glass-Steagall is out, and that stopped uh, commercial banks from going to the casino with uh, their depositors' money. But what was, the, what was the reason for it? Did they say why it needed to happen, or was it one of those things that were snuck in on the back of a big bill? There you go. Okay. Snuck in on the back because bankers had learned their lesson. Ah. <laughs> right. right. Okay. So then, fast forward to 2002, and um, 
Bush two updates the Community Reinvestment Act again, and now the portfolio portion that must go to non-creditworthy borrowers is 35%. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, crap, this is, this is gonna end badly. And so I started watching for banks to start merging and acquiring smaller banks that became unstable or insolvent. And, um, and in 2004, when uh, Bank of America acquired Fleet Boston, and, and they acquired Fleet Boston by, take, by, by trading shares of Bank of America for Fleet Boston debt, I was like, and there we go. And now we're off to the races because what happened? Well, all of these uncreditworthy loans, we call them subprime, they, it wasn't a small percentage of the entire um, mortgage market portfolio, it was a huge percentage, you know, by the time you've been gathering all these, these loans over the, over the course of time. And so in the, in the summer of 2007, we began to see, once again, the real estate market crash. Um, the place where I was living at the time in Troy, Michigan, up and down 16 Mile on, on Big Beaver Road, um, there were four lease signs and four sale signs that looked like a, a dandelions everywhere growing of these four lease and four sale signs. And, and I said, and now by the time we get to 2008, that's when we will see the crash. So, so I was calling a crash, you know, 16 months ahead of the time when it, when it happened because these banks now had so much bloat on their balance sheets that, that was not, it, it had no market value. You couldn't sell it. You, they could not um, combine into mortgage-backed securities or collateralized debt obligations into these gigantic portfolios and, and pass it around like a hot potato fast enough. Mm. And so, okay, so we have the crash of 2008. People lose their life savings. And in 2010, um, Senator Dodd and Senator Frank created a new bill called the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. I always called it the Frank and Dodd bill because to me it was a monster. And what it did was it reduced the reserve requirements of banks to ridiculously low levels. So instead of having five or 10% of reserves in cash in the bank, now they could have 2%. And um, I just found out the other day that now banks only have to have 0%. They, zero. They don't, it, it could be a bare, bare shelf, nothing it's in the vault. Bare shelves, nothing there. And um, You see, Robin, when, when, we talk about, when we talk about where we're going next in this big, in this big uh, you know, I don't know, this, this haunted hay wagon, this, wagon. What, we're, what we're going through right now is, I, I say to myself, the only thing that we have with the fiat dollar at the moment is I do have the opportunity of going out with you and your husband and Lauren and paying for a, a, a dinner with cash. We do have the opportunity to be off grid with a little bit of cash for the night. But other mm -hmm. than that, we're, we're already on a digital currency. There's, there's nothing physical about our existence right now. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But remember, the reason that we're taking this look back is to, to 
figure out how we got to the irresponsible banker. But mm -hmm. remember how I started this whole thing. The, the Federal Reserve is a cartel. It's a monopoly cartel. It's privately owned. And it will probably not surprise you to find out that most people at our federal level legislators, they're in on the gig, right? Otherwise, otherwise they would actually do the right thing. What right, would, they would they would get rid of the Federal Reserve. They would get rid of the income tax. They would put us back on a gold-backed currency. They would do what is right and proper. So the fact that they haven't tells me everything I need to know. Tells me that they're in on the whole thing. They have to be. They can't be that stupid. No, they're, they're not that stupid. So, so now we so so now we get to the point in 2015 when the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank puts out a press release and a, and basically asks the Obama administration to deregulate the banks so that now instead of using the subprime loans, now they're going to start using diversity, equity, and inclusion and um, environmental, social, and governance scores. So the subprime, so that's it's a woke agenda, right? So instead of subprime loans to uncreditworthy borrowers, now they're going to use woke policies to issue loans. That's how that's how uh, how intimately involved this this was with with that yeah. kind of that kind of ideology. Right now, well. So let me just, just I'm just going to pull one straw off the top. The guy who was the chief administrative officer was a guy by the name of Joseph Gentile. He joined the firm in uh, 2007, but before he joined the firm in 2007, guess where he was? Uh, Remember, it's 2007. 2000, I don't know, Enron? Lehman Brothers. Oh, Enron before right. that? <laughs> Right. And before Lehman Brothers, he was CFO of Global Corporate and Investment Bank at Bank of America. Bank of America was one of the original um, banks involved in the Federal Reserve Act. Okay. And before Bank of America, he spent 10 years or more in various financial positions with J.P. Morgan. Hmm. Now, here's the kicker. Guess where he started his career at? You'll what? never guess. So I'll just tell you. Arthur Anderson. Oh, okay. Wasn't Arthur Anderson part of um, WorldCom? Now that was, I was just getting into high school for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, all right, so SVB is in this up to its hairline, right? but, but let me ask you, so so have you, with that, with with all of the loans that they're giving and the investments that they're making into into uh, the, these politically ideological, uh, whether it be weather or whether it be racial equity or, or LGB, everything else, is that what is showing has been really bottoming out? Like there's been no returns on investment there, or is it, is it these bonds thing? Everybody's saying it's the bonds and the federal reserve 
how much of a drain on the on their uh, their banking was the actual ideological investments they're making? Oh, oh, it was huge. It was to the tune of. So what I read this morning was that they had about one point nine billion dollars in non-solvent assets, meaning what they had. So what they had done was instead of taking that small portion of cash and putting it on the shelves, they'd taken the cash and they had purchased long-term bonds, I think like 10-year bonds. And they'd purchased it at a point when the interest rates were very small. Now, price of bonds and interest rates are going opposite directions. So essentially, the price of the bond is on one side of the equal sign and the interest rate is in the denominator on the other side of the equal sign. So if the interest rate is really small, that price of the bond is really big. Does that make sense? No. Bonds are very confusing to me. Okay, no, 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 no. Just think of it as um, X equals a fraction. Yeah, okay, I see Okay, that. the X is the price of the bonds. Mm -hmm. The fraction is some constant number over an interest rate. The interest rate is in the denominator. Okay, I see So when it. that interest rate gets small, that price of the bond gets big. So they bought the bonds when the interest rates were tiny. And so the price of the bond was huge, so they had a lot of market value. Now, <clears throat> if they had held on to those bonds to maturity, everything would have been cool. But they had to start selling those bonds because they needed the solvency. So as the interest rates rose, remember it's in the denominator, the price of those bonds got smaller. So the bigger the interest rates got, the smaller the, bond, the smaller the price of the bonds got. So the value of the bonds went down and that changed everything because that value of the bond, that was their reserve. And so now they have to sell the bonds at a smaller price. So they sell the bonds the price of the bonds goes lower. They have to sell more bonds. The price of the bonds goes lower. And pretty soon, they're short $2 billion. They sold $21 billion in bonds last week, and they lost $2 billion. That was it. They were just trying to get break even. They were just, yeah, they were just trying to break. They were, so, so now, so they're $2 billion in the hole, and that's... Thursday morning, and all of a sudden, Peter Thiel, he sees what they're doing, and he calls up all his investors, and he says, yank your money out of SVB. That's Thursday morning. Now, there's your run on the bank. All of the big investors who went in first, and you know how fast people can take money out of a bank? You know, did you know you don't actually even have to go to a bank? You can just go tickety, tickety, tickety on your phone, and boom, it's done. And so that bank run was an electronic bank run. And as soon as Peter Thiel's investors yanked all their money, that was it. SVB's head was on the chopping block. See, okay, so let me ask you this question. On the bonds thing, when I was mm -hmm. reading this thread before I got in touch you, here, here's, the, here's the part of the thread that came up. It said, uh, Silicon Valley Bank is the largest bank to fail since 2008. Uh, the primary reason for the failure was their choice to invest their customers' deposits in treasury bonds, which are highly impacted by shifts in interest rates. Uh, it bought government bonds which fix it with fixed interest rates, and the Fed, when, the, when the Fed raised rates, those bonds lost value. My question is this. 
if we're already in such a precarious position, SVB is such a huge bank that is known to everybody in government because it's funding so many government ideological th- they know what SVB is doing and and what an interest hike would do to them are you right uh, it, it, can, it it makes me wonder is it did they did they want to implode this bank and start the domino effect or yes. did they have did, did they have uh, if not was not doing it going to cause even worse swifter damage what do you what, what do you think <laughs> Okay, so I go back to my statement about the Federal Reserve system. Remember, it's a cartel. It is privately owned. It is it is designed in order to it's designed to take all your money. In fact, it's designed to own the money before you even get it. So the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates uh, as soon as Biden gets into office. Of course they know this is going to affect the banks, banks like SVB. Now, now I told you in an email today that SVB smelled really fishy, right? Didn't I tell you that? It smelled, it stunk to high heaven. We know, um, we know that it had 65,000 plus startup companies that were banking with it. Um, some of these companies were associated with the Chinese Communist Party, about, about 2,200 of them and they were all working on AI. Some of these companies were um, climate change tech companies. There's your ESG stuff. Um, it's my opinion that, um, it's my opinion that the Federal Reserve knows that banks are going to be going out of business with these rate hikes, and that's their purpose to push the banks out of business. Because what did Grandma Yellen do today? Oh, on, on Saturday, she says, no bailouts, no bailouts. And I looked at that and I went, liar. <laughs> of course you're going to bail them out. And so what do they come up with? They came up with what they called a backstop. They told SVB and maybe one other bank, they said, what we're going to do is we are going to buy all of your bonds for their market value of when you bought them. So if SVB bought a $100 10-year bond and it's now worth $95, the Treasury and the Federal Reserve is going to buy that bond for the 100 bucks. They're just going to print the money, Frank. This is they, 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 this backstop. They're not calling it a bailout now. They're calling it a backstop. This is... Quantitative, quantitative easing forever. And it is designed to crash the banking system. Why? What do the bankers want? They want total, control. absolute control. They want you using their central bank digital currency. They want you using that CBDC because in that way, they've, they've got you right by the ball sack. Well, and it, they're going to squeeze. And I was going to ask about that with the digital dollar. I mean, I know I don't know what your... I was going to ask you a question about insulating uh, oneself from something like this, but when they are going, when, you know, it's, it's huge. When it comes to even like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies out there, the, they need banks too to be able to transact like this. So I'm right. wondering, you know, while the dollar is technically still around, how can you ins? I mean, do you 
I don't know. I'm thinking, well, obviously they're going after crypto at large They're going right after now. the crypto. Crypto is going to take a dive as well. Now, I know that I was watching um, Bitcoin. I, was, I, I like hanging out on the CNBC website, and I know they're, they're a trash place, but at least, you know, some of the numbers look reasonably accurate. But people were rushing into Bitcoin to the tune of $3,000. They were rushing into Litecoin, um, Bitcash, Ethereum. They were rushing into gold, silver, the precious metals. They were actually going out and buying bonds. And I thought, that's crazy. Who would, because a bond is just a debt instrument. That's just a puff of air. That's, that's the, that's the federal government's promise to pay you back. Bullshit. You're not going to pay anybody back. The whole purpose, in my opinion, for the raising of the interest rates is to put as many banks out of business as possible so that the Federal Reserve can come in and save the day. And, oh, by the way, we will give you all your money back. We'll ignore that $250,000 um, limit according to the FDIC, we'll, we'll just ignore that. You just have to use our central bank digital currency. That's all. That's all. Just make you make yourself our slave forever, and we'll let you have some of your money. Maybe. Maybe. From time to time. You know, you know, Robin, if, if, if you and I go to Mohegan Sun, and and I blow my entire life savings on on blackjack. Not only is I, not only am I, I mean, not only is oh, no one, no one is going to insure my my savings against a bad series of bets, but my, no. but but my financial annihilation at least is going to be owned by me and my family alone. It doesn't force other people that right. live on my street, my neighbors, they're not going to default on their mortgages because I went and I put Aurora's, you know, uh, savings on a uh, on a roulette table somewhere in Connecticut. Uh, it, 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 when this sh right. shit like this happens, the average person just cannot even make heads or tails of what is going on. For example, when you talk about fractional reserve lending and how... You, you give somebody ten dollars. They go. The, the ten dollars is created at an, out of nowhere. They go and put that ten dollars into a bank, and then the bank can make like you know a hundred dollars more that was created out of nowhere on the on the original imaginary dollars. If any of those hundred hundred new dollars ends up in another bank somewhere, that bank can create ten dollars on every one dollar. It's it's so criminal. Now when you talk about now you got it. When you, when you talk... Now you got it. Now it, you got the whole picture. Exactly. And they make it legal. It, it is criminal. It, it's, it's definitely unethical. It's legalized theft. It's unethical. Un these people, these people, Frank, you have no idea the depths of evil, the, 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 you, you just don't have any idea how evil all these people are. Now, it's not my my branch manager down the street who lives in my neighborhood. She's not the one who's evil. The people who are evil are the ones who are running the central bank system. And, and they are bound and determined to take control because all they want, Frank, is power and control. I've said that I don't know how many times. They All they want is power and control. They want to control the money supply. They don't care who makes the laws. Uh, Amshel Rothschild said that. 
like 400 years ago. Give me control of the money supply. I don't care who makes the laws. Mm -hmm. Who cares? I control the money. If I control the money supply, I've got you. I've got you lock, stock, barrel, and life. I own you. And now the CBDC is the last little piece of that great reset that Klaus Schwab was talking about in 2019. The last little piece is the central bank digital currency, and then they'll own everyone. So now, uh, are are you properly are you properly doomed out? No, no. Uh, oh, good. I, no, I, I'm good. not. Yeah, listen, I got some good news. Good, good. I, I can't. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> but before we get to the good news, let me ask you one more doomy kind of a question. And that is, since we're talking, okay. we're, t- we're talking about bubbles and we're talking about all this stuff. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we we went through the whole student loan forgiveness thing again. Now you want to talk about a subprime loan? The way that we've been shoveling, you you want, the way that we've been shoveling children into college that, that who should not be there just because it's supposed to be some kind of rite of passage, and we're giving loans out to everybody that you know they're not going to come out on the other side of four years with a with a uh, a job that's going to be a related to what they studied and b gainful enough to be able to pay it all back, and the government is backing them all. Tell me about have you ever acknowledged? Yeah. I mean, have you ever analyzed the the size of the student loan bubble? What kind of a problem oh, yeah. does that pose? What kind of a threat does that pose? It's huge. <laughs> How many trillions? It's, it's two trillion. It's two trillion dollars. You know, it's just two trillion. Just two. It's it's huge. But see, the whole purpose of a loan is to enslave you. If you're borrowing money from somebody, if you owe somebody, if you have a debt to somebody, they own you. The student loan fiasco was, I mean, when I when I got my student loans, I, I had them through my own my own bank. So I owed them. They were gonna make damn sure I was gonna pay. Right? Mm. But but you know, if you owe if you owe your life to the federal government, what the hell are you gonna do? So it's just another scheme to own you. But now but now let me at least um, give you some um, silver linings to all of this, okay? So in February on the 22nd, um, U.S. Representative Tom Emmer from Minnesota introduced a bill to prohibit the Federal Reserve from issuing a central bank digital currency or using a CBDC to control monetary policy. So that's already sitting in um, the House of Representatives. And um, the state of Tennessee just Gosh, as the weeks are blending together, it was just the, the last week or so passed um, a bill introduced by uh, State Senator uh, Frank Nicely to install and create a sovereign bullion bank in the state of Tennessee. Ooh. And I, I don't see any reason why the gover- governor of Tennessee will not sign that. I think he will, because what that's going to do is it's going to allow the state of Tennessee to remove themselves from the Federal Reserve matrix. Wow. Now there, yes, and so there are other states that are doing this as well. Um, Texas is um, working on their own. In fact, um, Texas is is seriously cons- it's seriously considering seceding from the union in order to become the Republic of Texas. So not only will they have their own sovereign bullion bank, but they'll be their own country. But other states are looking at this as well. Um, Catherine Austin Fitz has been talking about this since like November. So this is a way that states can protect their own um, their own state citizens 
and it will what it will do is it will it will help to cripple the federal reserve which is already bankrupt they're they're already not paying their debts they it, the the look the central bank system the western central bank system that is controls the money supply for um europe england Canada, the United States, New Zealand, and Australia, it will go down. It's going down fast. It's going down now right in front of our eyes here in America because I just found out this afternoon that banks are not loaning money to each other. The interbank overnight loans have shut down, which means liquidity has stopped. And when that liquidity stops, it means that the money supply vanishes. Now, so, so this week is... Man, I'm so excited. I can't tell you as an economist, I'm on pins and needles watching this because we are watching the collapse of the Federal Reserve System in live time. And so with um, places like um, Mark from Nevada Goldbacks and states like Tennessee that are um, creating their own sovereign bullion banks and other states are creating their own currencies, there is a way out and the light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train it's that we americans we're doing what we do best and we're inventing our way out of this situation and and we will we will prevail the central bank the federal reserve is going to go bye-bye it's just a matter of time it's not it's not if it's now it's in my eyes it's probably just a matter of months and when they go down the rest of the federal government is going to go with it because there will be no way for them to survive. Wow. I, you know, I, I was going to ask you that too about insulation. Um, because there's a that lot blue of blue monster prep sounds real good. Oh, I know. I every I, I, <laughs> I told them I said, listen, you guys, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world having you on as a sponsor. Uh, the world sells your services, but um, but you know, as far as financial planning goes, the because when you talk about the, the the currency of a nation that everybody uses, it seems like there's no real way to insulate yourself from not taking at least some kind of a haircut. But to know what's coming means to be able to prepare in some kind of a way. So just planning ahead, keeping things simple. As you said, a lot of people are looking inward to what local solutions could be. But while the dollar is still technically around, how do you, how does somebody, uh, you know, go and try to insulate themselves a little bit from these situations? You get your money into credit unions. Do you diversify across Bitcoin and, uh, precious metals, a combination of all mm. three, like, uh, how about we end with even more silver lining? The responsible banker. You're talking about the banker, the woman who right. lives down the street. She's not a monster. What does, in, right. in, in a world where we are now reinvesting in local solutions and the local bank, what are they doing to not only protect our money for whenever we need it, but for them as a business, how do they, how, how do they remain solvent without it being predatory? Well, so... If you, if you have a mom-and-pop banker just down the street, they are probably, and we're talking now the responsible banker, they're not going to take huge risks with the money of their depositors because their depositors are their neighbors. Mm. Their, their children go to school with each other, right? If the bank manager or the bank owner... Um, <laughs> 
screws up with all of his depositors money he's going to be run out of the run out of town on a rail right so it so the the reason we have irresponsible bankers now is because the majority of these big banks they're they're not downtown in huntington they're in new york city who the hell cares what huntington does who the hell cares what these poor people in huntington do right so the faster we can decentralize the banking system so that we have our own little banks and our own little towns, those bankers then they have to be responsible or, or they're going to suffer the consequences of, of being outed as, you know, a mean SOB. Mm-hmm. So, but, but that's only part of the answer. The, the other part of the answer is that when we have a gold-backed currency, you can't print money out of thin air. You can't. It's impossible. You have to have the gold that backs the currency. Um, I'm not. I'm not real sold on cryptos. I um. I like things I can hold in my hand. So I like gold and silver. I like precious metals. Toilet paper comes to mind. Storable foods. I mean. Ammunition. Amp. If if necessary. I mean, when when. The market crashed in 2008, and I saw all the money that went to the banking system then. Um, it worried me, but I realized that um, part, of the, part of the criteria for those banks taking that money was they were not allowed to loan it out. So I kind of went, okay, whew, that's not going to go into the economy. But all bets were off when, um, when President Trump got into office, and he said, yeah, loan all the money you want. Well. If you want to get rid of the Fed, how do you do it the fastest way? You crash the banking system, right? And then you have replacement sovereign bullion banks waiting in the wings to come in so that we can have a banking system where bankers are responsible, right? So the responsible banker is the one that looks at his depositor's money as very precious that he's going to protect or she's going to protect they're not going to loan out more than they can possibly expect um, to to have to replace if there's a run on the bank. But if they're being responsible, there's not going to be a run on the bank. Right. Right. So, so um, the responsible banker cannot exist in the system that we have right now. they, They can't because the system that we have right now is built it is designed to be criminal. Yeah. Do you see that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I so it has to go away and it's going away as we're watching it this week. I, I yeah, no doubt about it. And I'm, I, that's why I'm, I'm watching and I'm, I'm waiting and I'm, whatever's going on here. And, you know, we were talking about legality and, and ethics or all that other stuff. But, you know, when this stuff happens, especially for average people, like I love speaking with, with people like you who know because I get to, you know, if, if, if I was on the right track with some ways of thinking and if I needed some clarity on other things, I like getting it. But the average person, when they see this stuff going on, uh, you know, we, we can't even make heads or tails of what's happening because the system has been made so intentionally confusing and convoluted that you can bury crimes of any size inside of it and right. barely anybody knows what's going on. You know, they right. call And uh, that's by yeah, it's by design. It is I mean what, system, what what better way to steal hundreds of billions of dollars than to call it a backstop? 
you know right it's, well here's my thought i i'm not sure it's so much of a backstop as i think it's the next level of money laundering i lost ukraine right ftx went belly up the day the day after the election and so they've lost their ukraine money laundering system so now what they have is they have their backstop money laundering system but uh, this is this is all going to hell in a handbasket and and it should as quickly as possible so i think there's some good things coming i think there are i think there are americans who are waiting in the wings with some of these plans but in the meantime you know it wouldn't hurt for your audience to go over to blue monster prep and get um you just get some storable food it wouldn't hurt for them to um um buy some gold or some silver silver is much cheaper than gold you know really mm -hmm. um but i would not store it at a bank i wouldn't store it any place except where you can get your hands on it if you need it um we're coming into the growing season so i would i have been suggesting to people that they plant a garden and start jarring and start and learn how to can yeah and you know i've been making friends with my neighbors who have chickens there you go. There you go. So, I mean, look, our our grandmothers and great-grandmothers would have been called preppers these days because they did everything in the summer to make sure that their family would be whole and fed and um, in a good place all through the winter. So all we have to do is go back and remember what our grandparents were doing. That's all. And and we're going to be okay. This, I will not, I will not kid you, this is going to be a horribly scary week especially this week because there are so many banks that are involved with svb it's it's forking nuts out there frank it's just crazy and as an economist i'm excited because i can finally see some of the light at the end of the tunnel but as just a plain old just a plain old woman i'm a little trepidatious right because I can see that this system is coming crashing down and you know so but I've been watching this since Trump got into office I could see this coming since 2018 so we've been getting ready we've we've taken the time to do our storable food and to make friends with neighbors and you know neighbor up as it were and so you know I'm a little more peaceful probably than the average person on the street but it doesn't mean that I'm it doesn't mean that I'm not a little trepidatious, right? right? Because at the at the other side of this, we're gonna be okay. We've just gotta get through it. That's and it. we will. Uh, we will. Well, I, 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 again, Robin, this was just, it was gonna be a great show one way or another, but boy, oh boy, did the universe do a little bit of writing for us. Thank you for being on. Thank you. So did, did you, uh, is, it, is it still linksync.com or did you ever bring up a, or create a new blog template or anything that you were thinking about? Oh gosh, I haven't had time to do any of that. It's still linksync.com. That's L-Y-N-C-S-Y-N-C.com. And up at the top of the homepage are all my interviews so people can go and look at them. Um, I've got links to my in the classroom and my freedom lectures and and the website is free to use so your audience is more than welcome to go there um, if they want to uh, communicate with me um, they can find me at Marshall University I'm I think I'm the only McCutcheon there and I always answer email um, but before we go Frank did I answer all your questions yes most I, of them yes yes I, uh, one day one day when you come on we'll do uh -oh, a uh, we'll go, oh wait, wait well one day when you you hear me now 
I can hear you now. One day when you come on, I need to talk to you about bonds again from the perspective of debt buying. What what, what is it? All? You know, the, I I hear these things and I want to understand it, and I know I'm so close. And you have a great way of really di- pre-digesting this for your your students. And uh, in, in that respect, I I will again. I, I I feel like I drift in and out of being a host a friend and a student in any conversation that we have. And I try to try to get a good balance of all of that. So thank you for everything. And, uh, and I'm, I'll certainly talk to you off air and all, all the best to your husband. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Frank, for sharing your audience with me again. All right. Have a good night. You too. All righty. There you go. Robin McCutcheon on a night where it's just a nice, quick, snappy night. It's 817. I have a little bit of time left so what i'm going to do is take a quick break no intermission come back read through some of your super chats and um and then i have to i have to skedaddle in about i don't know 10 minutes because at 8 30 jay dyer and i are starting session number two for brave new world book club and i will uh we'll pick up a lot more on this tomorrow perhaps maybe we'll just do a call-in show tomorrow i think we did a good job I think we did a good job tonight. I feel good, especially since I was looking to gain some knowledge and understand. And it's great to see this situation as others, as not just one point of light on a, on a grid. I like seeing it connected to everything else. I like we went back to 1864 tonight. And then I, I like how we, as we got up through, we got Glass-Steagall, we got all this stuff, the implementation, the rolling back, 2008, subprime, even student loans. I like how all the dots have been connected. It feels a little bit more, okay, I can grasp this. Even though if I, I couldn't go out there and work for a bank, I can grasp what is at least happening to us right now. And um, yeah, hold on to your asses. We knew that this was going to be a roller coaster a couple of years, no doubt. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is history in the making. Cortez, 23 years old, first woman in the majors. It is my opinion that you do not really understand the concept of banking. All the banks are broke. Uh, Bank Santander, Deutsche Bank, Royal Bank of Scotland, they're all broke. And why are they broke? It isn't an act of God. It isn't some sort of tsunami. They're broke because we have a system called fractional reserve banking, which means that banks can lend money that they don't actually have. It's a criminal scandal and it's been going on for too long. To add to that problem, you have moral hazard, a very significant moral hazard from the political sphere. And most of the problem starts in politics and central banks, which are part of the same political system. We have counterfeiting, sometimes called quantitative easing, but counterfeiting by any other name. The artificial printing of money which if any ordinary person did, they'd go to prison for a very long time. And yet governments and central banks do it all the time. 
central banks repress the amount of interest that rate, rates are so we don't have the real cost of money and yet we blame the real retail banks for manipulating LIBOR. The sheer effrontery of this is quite astonishing. It's central banks. It's central banks that manipulate interest rates, Commissioner. And plus, underneath all this, we talk loosely, in a rather cavalier fashion, do we not, about deposit guarantees. So when banks go broke through their own incompetence and chicanery, the taxpayer picks up the tab. It's theft from the taxpayer. And until we start sending bankers, and I include central bankers and politicians, to prison for this outrage, it will continue. Let's get on into Let's get on into your your, your thingies over here. You got me some messages. Messages it is. Let's go. Over on Rockfin first, I've got a tip from Fishhead Montana. Says the, the Nevada Goldbacks are really cool. You can put them in your wallet, and they seem to keep their shape really well after a couple of days. Thanks for pointing this out, Frank. Oh, no problem, buddy. I'm glad that you are having a good time with those. I, uh, me, I, I own a few. I definitely want to get more, but I don't carry them with me. That's just something that I would, you know, if I were ever transacted with somebody in private and I wanted to... You know, I, I wanted to offer that up instead of whatever for whatever service or whatever. Doesn't matter. A dozen eggs. I'll give you a gold back. I'll give you a five gold backs. Whatever. Things like that. I would keep that just stored away. Unless you live in a state in a local community where you know a couple of places are already accepting gold backs, which is happening. And that's really interesting about the, the bullion bank in Tennessee. That's really interesting right there. Um, over on to, quite frankly, superchat.com. Stostube says, thank you, Frank and Robin. Always a great listen when Robin is on. Off to another great week with, quite frankly, family. It's going to be a great week. Already is, as you can see. Wonderful tone setter. And uh, let's see. Over on Rumble. Wonderful, wonderful group of people watching on Rumble. And it's because people are liking it. On Rumble, like it, like the stream, like the stream, like the stream. Because then it'll get suggested while we're live. It'll get suggested when we're off air. Same thing with YouTube. I got to thank everybody who still watches on YouTube. That really puts their back into liking the show. I know you put your back into it. And it's great to have you helping me. It's just incredible how we were having so much so much, you know, there was progress in the first couple of weeks, and then they switched up the algorithm. You can tell because we just. But but still, thank you everybody helping push me across the finish line of a hundred thousand subscribers at some point in the next five years. I know we're only like two thousand away, but it'll probably take me about five years to get there. Anyway, I'm fine with taking a leisurely stroll with you through the park. That's fine. I like it. Kate Cat Sky D says, thank you for asking about local banks, Frank. Her answer makes total sense. A good friend of mine's grandparents are on the board 
of my credit union was thinking about texting him today. I'm telling you, um, credit unions, it's something I have not, I had an account with the, open with a credit union not too long ago, but I never really did much with it. And I, uh, you know, that's all FDIC insured as well. I think about it all the time. And maybe it's just time. Maybe it's just time. But I do everything else. I think I do everything else to try to to try to simplify and localize. Let's get into our foxhole, which great changes are coming to foxhole soon. We'll talk to you all about it at that point. And then um, thank you, Secret Weapon. Thank you, Chai Possum. Says, hey, Frank, can you wish my cat, Chai Possum, a happy 10th birthday, please? Happy birthday, cat. Paulie, thank you. Squickly says, new show on Rumble, Power Meat Slap. Power Meat Slap? Slapping meat? M3 says, could could use your open-minded support, Frank. Check out Flat Earth Facts. Everybody go check out the, the facts of Flat Earth. That's from M3. Sean Joe, thank you so much. Beach Bum and Mermaid 13, thank you. Fabulous show, she says, I think. Merman. <laughs> Delona, Tempo 420. Joe Lane says, Election, uh, excellent show, Frank. Thank you. Sharing everywhere. And Pam D, thank you. Um, that is all for those because I can't get around to thank you anymore after this. I have to stop the show in just a couple of minutes. But um, it's been wonderful. This has been a wonderful night with you guys and gals. It really has. Here is the, I didn't know so much about, I knew about this. Talk about a little bit of dark humor. Fatal Distraction, Senior SVB Risk Manager oversaw woke LGBT programs. While Silicon Valley Bank careened toward its spectacular collapse, the bank's head of risk management for Europe, Africa, and the Middle East devoted a chunk of her time to various LGBTQ plus programs. Meanwhile, SVB went without a chief risk officer from April 2022 until January of this year, the Daily Mail reports, as the bank apparently had little urgency to replace Laura uh, Izurida before finally tapping Kim Olsen earlier this year. On the other hand, a few months before that long CRO vacancy began, SVB boasted, we have a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. You might as well close your doors right then. The clock is ticking. You're you're done when you start bringing up chief diversity officers because then you are committing too much time. Bringing on one diversity officer is too much of a commitment time-wise and salary-wise to to investing into a... into thinking that could only diminish the quality of your work in order to seem equitable for people who uh, who who really can't float themselves on only their abilities to perform. It has to be some other kind of superficial thing about them, whether it be skin, whether it be orgasms, whether it be genitalia. Um, so you're you're already you've already been bitten by the poison spider when you have a chief diversity officer. That's fear. That's fucked. So they started talking about this. Now I don't know how much of that was a dis, how much distraction. I, I I don't know if they had their chief risk manager 
that was not out there talking about gay issues and gay programs, how much could really be done when you're that over leveraged, when you're at, when you're beholden to the central bank, I, I think it's just, you know what the risks are. So I can't even, I can't even tell them, well, you shouldn't have been going off worrying about the economy and, and, uh, and, and making the world an equitable place. I mean, why not? Why not? What else? What? Does this have a happy ending one way or another? If you're crazy, you're crazy. Hell, even um, even CNN, even CNN, as I wrap up over here right now, CNN rolled out, I can't believe it, but but I can, that Jean-Pierre, that Corrine Jean-Pierre, she was out there on CNN. They had a press, uh, press secretary meeting. She and two other black women were out there to respond to this collapse, a historic collapse. That is a harbinger of worse things to come that are almost like just predestined at this point. Things that we have to go through. It, you know, just how death is part of the cycle of life. It's just things we have to go through at one point or another. And CNN actually took time out to celebrate the fact that the three messengers of the the coming collapse were black women. It was the first time that three black women went up there at the White House press in, before the White House press corps and gave an address. This is what they're we are being driven into the ocean by people who are absolutely obsessed with their genitals. They can't stop talking about their fucking genitals. They can't stop their skin, their genitals. They can't stop talking about it. They're absolutely fucking insane. You don't have to watch the Oscars to get that shit. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how easy it is to be equitable when there's nothing to pass around anymore. But that's what I have for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for everything. I have to kick off book club. So, uh, if you are waiting on that, please. I'll see you in just a second. We're going to be starting that up right now. All the best to you. 7 o'clock tomorrow, we'll be live again, and I can't wait to see you there. Thanks again to Robin McCutcheon, and email the show if you have anything you want to add. Quite frankly, podcast at gmail or protonmail.com. I'll catch you on the flip side. Frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with Stostube. And all my Cat Sky D and all my friends on Foxhole right now, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a monthly subscriber, I will see you in just a moment on the unlisted YouTube stream that's about to begin. Good night, and I'll see you on Tuesday. I should also say that our regular Monday night programming, Movie Mystery Monday, will also be starting around regular time. So I'll see you there after book club's done. Good night. Good night.